Okay, welcome to another episode of the Halftime Podcast, a live one today, a special one, which is brought to you by HalftimeCouple.com. My name is Danny Cook, and I'm pleased to bring you this, as I say, very special live episode featuring an array of fantastic guests today. But before we begin, uh, you can, of course, catch up on any of our previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or our website now at halftimecupper.com. However, if you're listening to us live, do not go anywhere. You want to stay here. You want to listen to our views. Uh, it's going to get very, very interesting on today's show. So uh, let's let's crack on straight away. Uh, joining me on today's show, we have Charlie Pumphrey. Hello, Danny. I hope Hello, Charlie. Right. How are you? I'm very good, Danny. I'm having a good old time over here. Having a good old time. Perfect. Um, before, before we sort of move on i just want to say you know charlie's done a fantastic job he's actually the one who's um putting up this live stream today so um big big shout out to charlie there thank you for doing that charlie if anything breaks feel free to berate me (laughs) (laughs) not at all not at all um joining charlie we've got ij how are you ij very good thank you mate thanks for having me on no problem at all ij was on the football manager podcast recently uh, that we've got on our site. Uh, really fantastic job that you and Charlie did there. How was that for you? Yeah, really, really good. Uh, enjoyed it. Obviously, with a game that I'm very passionate about, and um, we got some really good guests coming up in the next couple of episodes. So watch out for that. Brilliant. Actually, we got we got a football manager enthusiast panel today. Was uh, <laughs> completing the panel. We got Rob Amanzi. Uh, Rob, how are you? Good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, all good, thank you. Um, so, gents, I, I guess we better better talk the elephant in the room um, of Premier League returning very, very soon. In fact, this week, um, tomorrow, I think, um, which will be exciting. Before we do, though, uh, obviously, for those listening in, you may have heard today the news about Marcus Rashford and his campaign to uh, make sure that kids who unfortunately were less off still received uh, food whilst they're they're at home over the summer. So let's go to IJ, the United fan in our (laughs) panel today. IJ, how are you feeling about the Rashford news? Uh, Brilliant. I think he's, it shows what he's done in the last, you know, what's it? Couple months um, over lockdown, um, learning sign language just to read or judge a poetry competition in like a school it's just unbelievable what he's doing and it gives the club some great publicity he certainly does and i bet as a united fan you must be so so proud of him right now exactly exactly proud is an understatement for him now uh rob how can we you know as a country how can we reward and celebrate um marcus's efforts um i think i think as rj sorry what he said though just by be honest with it by reflecting on the facts that football has put such a horrible light most of the time, particularly at the beginning of this pandemic, where there was a lot of talk about the flouting the rules or being bad role models, which some of them were. But when something like this happens, it's good to be open about it, public about it, and mention them right. But I also highlight the fact of what a lot of good that a lot of young people do within sport, and Mark is an example of that. Brilliant. And uh, Charlie, you know, there's talks of knighthoods and, you know, <laughs> all kinds of different ways to celebrate what he's achieved. What, what do you think we should do? I, I think there's 
probably an award that we give every year that it would be a bit mental if he wasn't even in the conversation before now, given that there's less sport this year. And I think it's great to do it. I, he's got to be there for the sports personality of the year. I just don't think this moment, if you had to drop a list and have to pick someone, you've got to pick Marcus Rashford. You've got to pick the man because he's what he's done, like, like I just said there, it's not one campaign or something he's done. It's all the different things that he's been involved with and that he's putting his profile to good use. He's not like one of these celebrities that's just using these situations to further their own name. He's using it to do something of real good. And I think that is quite stellar. And I think sports personality of the year, it should be the beginning. And I think it might be a little early for a knighthood, but I think <laughs> I think definitely other there are other things that we have designed as the sort of... And it's not... I'm, I'm, the thing is, he's almost certain it's not the reason he's doing it. He's not done it for his brand. He's done it because... He comes from that background and he's doing it to help people in a position that he was in. And I think that's almost entirely highly commendable. Yeah, I'm sure we'll celebrate it one way or another. Uh, that knighthood might have to wait until uh, we win the World Cup, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> okay, so uh, moving on to the Premier League then, as I say, returning this week. Um, it will be interesting. It will be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, let's go to Rob first. Obviously, you're our, our resident Liverpool fan. Um, so, I guess we're going to start with everyone's teams individually. So, IJ and Charlie will come on to your teams in a second. But, uh, Rob, from a Liverpool fan's perspective, do you feel that this break is going to have done any any hindrance to you at all? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think the simple answer, the quick answer would be yes, because obviously everyone's out of momentum and form um, and everyone kind of starts at a similar base now, fitness-wise. Um, but what I would say is that from a little perspective, we were in a little bit of bad form before the pandemic started. We just lost to Watford in the league our first defeat of the season. And we'd also, um, on top of that, just got out of Champions League to Atletico Madrid. That was actually our last game before the lockdown and the ending of all basic football. So maybe inadvertently this might be a kickstart for us to kind of get started fresh, clean slate, um, and hopefully win those, those two games we need to become league champions. Interesting. Uh, we'll come on to form in a second anyway. I want to discuss form in a bit more detail. Uh, Charlie, what what do you think from a Brighton fan's perspective? The other end of the table, down there with little old Norwich, unfortunately. But um, yeah, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think... It, for, as a Brighton perspective, it's come at a great time for us. I was doing some research today about the players, sort of the availability now of players coming back. And we had a few players that were on sort of longer injuries. One or two won't be back because their injuries are just too long term. But someone like Aaron Connolly, a young player who had a bit of an ankle injury, he had to have an operation just as we went into lockdown. And it was going looking like his season would be over. But we've got to the stage now where, in fact, his season is far from over. He's going to be like back in the squad and ready to start from the beginning. So to have someone like that available, and then there's Alexis McAllister, an Argentinian midfielder we brought in who made his debut against Wolves in the last game before the lockdown. He's now had three months to uh, acclimatise to the country, whereas before he would have had maybe three days before his next game. So this opportunity you've got now to bring players in and have them far more acclimatised, I think you're going to see a lot of these players that were new and fresh to their sides in January. So I know Norwich had a couple they brought in in January. Yep. They're going to be far more more acclimatised to their team and far readier to play. 
than they were before. I mean, even like Odio Nagala and Bruno Fernandes at Man United, it's definitely going to be useful, I think, for everyone. But I think for us, it's been good. It's interesting that. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, point you raise. I, I think it will be, uh, I guess, something to look out for. Um, whether it has an impact or not, I don't know. But because uh, obviously they haven't played any games, so that's that's mm. the argument. Uh, but yeah, I, I could weigh it up. I could weigh it up. Um, IJ, let's let's get your thoughts. Man United, do you, do you think uh, that break has helped you at all? Um, absolutely not. Um, I think we've uh, we hit a brilliant run of form towards the end of the um, the season coming in. You know, we're now three points behind Chelsea. We I personally think we would have caught them up very easily it really hasn't come as a good uh time for us and united played two friendlies i think last week against west bromwich albion and they lost one game one one won the other game so i don't know what that um <laughs> whether that shows anything to go by in the next coming days do you think you can draw much from that ij from those friendlies because the format they've been taking, and it seems to be more of like a fitness exercise than a football match. I would, I'm that, sure yeah, 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 exactly. That's the thing. I was, I was saying, I don't know if we can actually uh, take anything from that because, although a lot of people are saying, oh well, United had their best team in the first game where they lost, and it was just a bit like, well, these guys haven't played for months and months mm-hmm. on end. How are they going to be up to scratch? Although you could say um, same thing about West Brom, but. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, do, IJ, do you think that that sort of having to go for a, a mini preseason again um, will have any effect on form? Because form prior to the break, will that be carried over, do you think? Uh, oh, it's hard to say, but I think if you have a well-gelled um, team and a good manager who knows what he's doing, then you're absolutely going um, gonna to come through it. But I think everyone's in the same playing field. Um, at the moment, after the after this mini preseason, as you say, Danny. Um, yeah. But yeah, mm. I just want to bring in Rob. I mean, Rob, uh, you know, we we spoke about Liverpool a little bit earlier, but I mean, from them, their focus is surely what two win two games and it's over. So, <laughs> I mean, you, from a <laughs> Liverpool perspective, surely it must be the easiest approach to to this mini season. Uh, I, I won't hear that like, like that because. As a Liverpool fan, there's many stresses involved in dribbling <laughs> titles and slips and everything else. So I wouldn't mind it straightforward. I'm hoping, Danny, there's going to be only one game to win. The Arsenal did their job um, against Man City. Um, but yes, but I, I think if it, I've listened to a lot of Klopp's words over the last couple of days, uh, he's adamant. I mean, maybe it's PR speak, but he's very adamant about the fact that there's 100 points barrier to break to get the most Premier League points in the season. Um, there are lots of targets, I think, within the group, within the club. I think Salah and Mane might get the golden boot between the two of them. Clean sheet records, etc. So I think the onus will be to, to win our last nine games to finish the season on the high. Um, but obviously, the, the, the key is win the league. But I think there are accolades within the team that I'd like to achieve as well. Mm. Um, slightly off topic here, but um, I'm sure you guys probably play Fantasy Premier League. Um, mm. I, I saw a video earlier about obviously the most transferred in players and most transferred out players. Uh, Salah was one of them. Uh, he was the most transferred out, one Ooh. of the most transferred out. So wow. I'm intrigued that you you brought him up there, Rob. That you think he might win the Golden Boot because it, 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 no. it, it, it's only one goal off. 
I think about Yang's were 19, he was 18 or something like that. So I'm not sure what's going on in FPL world, that's the Premier League world there. But um, yeah, he's, he's a good shot for the Golden Boot still. Okay, well, we'll have, to, we'll have to see. I've still got him in my team, so fingers crossed. <laughs> no, I need to change mine as well. I, I think completely yeah, forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, for, for anyone listening who's also forgot about it, like me, um, I think they're doing unlimited transfers for, well, up until tomorrow. And then I think it may be unlimited between the game weeks as well. I don't know. Um, yeah. Maybe a bit clarity on that, but. Uh, it will be interesting. Okay, uh, so Charlie, as a as a team, as a supporter of a team down the bottom end of the table like me, um, home form and how sort of crucial it can be. Um, do you feel that playing behind closed doors is going to be an advantage or a disadvantage for 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 Brighton, or will it have no effect at all? Um, I don't know how much of an effect it will have. I mean, I've heard words from Graham Potter in the last few days where he, they asked him about the cardboard cutouts they're putting in the stands. And they were saying, oh, is that going to have a team? And he was like, well, his answer really, to sort of put it into shorter words, was, was no. He was like, you can't get the same atmosphere out of some, out of some cardboards as you can out of some plastic fans. Or sorry, fans as it is for a lot of Brighton fans. Unlike Man United fans. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) Yeah, I'm joking. But in all honesty, though, I think you are going to find some of these teams where the atmosphere plays a big part. I think you're looking at your Burnleys, these clubs that are built on the atmosphere. Even teams like Leicester might find and Sheffield United might find that these sort of traditional clubs that are built on a strong atmosphere at home and building that kind of fortress... And I think a lot of it, a lot of people will draw it quite simplistically off of there not being any fans. But I think there will be underlying things. Like you look in Germany, a lot of the pundits that you listen to over there are saying actually this fact that it was 40% of home teams were winning before the break and now it's 20%. A lot of that is actually down to a sample size, individual circumstances of games. We haven't really had enough games to go. Well, having fans in the stadium makes this much of an impact. I think it will. And I think as we get down to crunch time, when you get down to those, so I know Brighton have got to go away to Carrow Road, and that's going to be a completely different atmosphere to when Norwich came to the Amex. It's going to be, I would say, it's going to, it's going to be more difficult at times. If you go a goal behind, you haven't got that crowd to get behind you and say, look, pull your finger out and let's go and do something. But there are, there is going to be this element of, if a team starts to fall behind, especially to someone like Liverpool, to a Man City, I mean, Brighton have got arguably the hardest running from this point. We've still got to play Liverpool. We've still got to play Arsenal. We've still got to play Man City. We've still got to play Manchester United as well. I thought you could leave play. us out then. <laughs> no, I'm trying to talk, talk, talk about top, top, top four sides, to be honest. But, <laughs> and <Arsenal>. but <laughs> this is this is going to be really interesting. I think if you go behind to a if you go behind to a Manchester City, you haven't got a crowd to turn around to you and really lift you. And like I know that makes a bit that makes a big difference at the Amex. I've noticed when I've been there is that when the crowd does get behind the team, you can see a reaction. And I think it will it will have an impact on the relegation battle. I'm not sure how much of an impact it will have on the fight for top four, to be honest. I don't know if there's enough of an impetus at that level. I mean, I don't support the team at that level, so I couldn't really give you the, the download on that. I don't know if IJ would be able to give you a slightly better overview of that than I would. But yeah, I think it will, it will be noticeable, but it won't have a huge effect statistically. It'll certainly be something we, an experience we probably won't forget. 
watching um, football without fans. Um, IJ, obviously, you've got the Old Trafford you know, crowd. Um, are you, are you going to miss seeing that on TV? Uh, yeah, obviously, and I think the players will too. But um, I don't know. I think we've got some quality players, and we're definitely showing that towards the end of the um, towards the end of the break. And I think that will pull us through. Pull us through, really, um, through the without the crowd and all that. So I think we'll be fine. Okay. Um, I know some clubs. I think they're they're trying to put in crowd noises. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I, I guess with Brighton, um, they're doing this this cardboard cutout of players. I, I think Leeds are doing the same. Um, Rob, what what's your thoughts? Uh, have Liverpool got any um, any plans for this? Have they got any cutouts, or are they going to play? You'll never walk alone. Um, it, it's interesting because I was listening to what. Charlie was saying there about the cutouts. I was like, oh, okay, that's novel. I don't heard that one yet. Um, tomorrow, no, I think, I think, there's correct or not, I think EA Sports are working with um, the Premier League so you can pipe in the chanting from the FIFA games into the back you're watching from home. Um, but I don't know actually what Liverpool are doing. Maybe they'll, they'll carry on with the usual process of playing you never walk alone before the game for home games. That would make sense to me. Because it does create an atmosphere within the players, and maybe that'll be intimidating for your position. Um, but I think the hope will be for home games that the fact that you're playing at home psychologically he will give you advantage anyway, so that might be enough. Hmm. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know though, because you'll never walk alone is just so such a anthem, like such a symbolic um thing to hear before a game there. Um, I can imagine it must feel really weird uh, watching that. Um, interesting that Charlie mentioned, I know Charlie, you mentioned about some stats earlier. I, I came mm. across some, while I was doing some research. I want to get your, all of your, your thoughts on this. Um, so from a 36 uh, game sort of pool from Bundesliga, uh, there was 18 away wins, 10 draws and only eight home wins. Uh, so Rob, what you know, looking at those stats? Obviously, hearing what Charlie said, do you feel like now it's going to be like a completely different game for teams when they return? Um, I mean, we we'll have to wait and see. I mean, that's a, a me sitting on the fence a little bit there. But why not the Bundesliga and the stats there are quite helpful? And I think they connect to what Charlie said earlier about home advantage seems to have gone away now, dissipated. What I would say though, when I watched the Bundesliga game so far. The teams that are low down the table haven't really been able to compete with the teams who are up at the table. Um, it's very much more to form. The stronger sides have been winning the games that they should be winning. So maybe the effect is, is that the upsets will be less. Um, and when teams are playing at home, regardless of home advantage, if they're playing against a team with better quality players, that might be the side effect, possibly. Mm. I, IJ, do you do you agree with what Rob's just said there in terms of it potentially being less upsets and and you know there won't be so much of a home advantage? It's just whatever the better team is will win. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree with that. Um, on the day, it will certainly be now on the day whoever's played the best football, and I think that's what a lot of people have wanted to see anyway. In certainly the Premier League. Um, about like if the better team might not win the game because the crowd are behind them they maybe hold on for that last five minutes whereas if they don't have that crowd maybe they leak a bit of a a 
bit leaky defensively. So um, I don't know. I absolutely agree with that. Cool. Um, just a quick pause before we go into the sort of the next question. Uh, for anyone listening in, if you've got any questions, please do send them in. Charlie's keeping an eye on the comment section. I'm keeping an eye as well. Uh, so send them in and we can we can have a look if you're listening live, of course. If not, you're a little bit too late, but don't worry. Um, so, Charlie, I'm going to turn to you now. Uh, substitutions. Obviously, they've changed the ruling on this, and I believe you're now allowed five subs to be used. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Charlie? Do you, do you think it'll have much of an impact? Yeah, I think it will definitely have an impact. The fact that you can have an extra man come off of the bench, two extra men, obviously. It will affect strategic planning towards the end of games. And I think it's important to note that they've said you can have five substitutions, but you can only have them at three intervals, basically. So much like you'd have three subs before, and you can, only, you can make them all at once or one at a time. Now you have five substitutions, but you have to make them within three times, if that makes sense. Mm, so you have yeah. to sub one, sub two and three, sub three, and, uh, sub four and five, sorry. And it's also important that you're going to have a nine-man bench now. So these teams with the bigger squads, so theoretically, these teams with the bigger squads, the bigger teams with more money effectively, are going to have probably a little bit more of an advantage when it comes to that. And I've seen a lot of things said about in the relegation battle. I can only really talk about what I've seen and what uh, my aspect of it has been looking at what Brighton's fate is going to be like. It seems to be the case that some of the clubs are really well placed for it, but some, really, their squad was built to have 18 players and those 18 players be great. And so they haven't really got any other options above what they had before. So, unfortunately, that seems to include Norwich. Norwich are one of those teams that didn't have a particularly big squad when they started the season which was then decimated, unfortunately, by injuries. Um, Charlie, wouldn't you say, though, that um, this kind of encourages, well, not deliberately, but it kind of encourages br- uh, clubs bringing through youth players and bringing them into the first team and playing more games off the bench? Maybe, but I don't see that being the case. I, I think clubs will use this break, this extra two subs in certain situations. Like, to be fair, to be fair without me flubbing that... <laughs> I think clubs are going to be quite sparing when it comes to this, unless they're really chasing a game. Are they going to want to make five subs every game? I know there's a lot of financial stuff that goes behind that, so appearance fees and contracts now will start to be looked at. Are clubs going to be quite strategic when it comes to those extra subs, or are we going to see... Because you can only make them in free intervals, you're not going to be able to waste any more time than you were before. So I can't see that being the case necessarily when it comes to using them all and trying to kill games at the end of the game. Yeah. Maybe you might see more young players are being used by clubs that have nothing to play for. I mean, if clubs like Everton find themselves drifting mid-table, I know Newcastle, that position, Crystal Palace, Burnley, look like, well, looking further up towards the middle of the table. Maybe you'll see young players being given more of a chance. I know if you're a Chelsea, you're more likely to bring on someone like Billy Gilmore if you've got an extra sub. I just, I, it's one of those things, it will, it will range wildly from club to club. I don't think it will be a case of we'll see this big influx of young players being given time. I think it will range quite wildly. Let's turn to Rob now. Rob, uh, (laughs) what what do you think the possibility is of seeing (laughs) a manager turn to to bring on five players in one one go? Do do you think that's something we'll see? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, maybe Mourinho, he's he's one (laughs) game for his... um... 
had the situation. I was listening to Charlie there because I'm learning as I'm listening to the mm. to the guys talk. Um, I wasn't aware of the interval rule in, um, and they get up to nine. So good research there, Charlie. Um, <laughs> but from my perspective, um, about the, the subs, I always thought it was used to be honest. I just to ease people back from this mini break they've been forced into because of the pandemic and I guess to avoid injury or overexertion because it could be so many games in a short period of time. Um, but I guess from a cynical point of view, yeah, you might do a five reduced change. I think that might happen maybe late in the game. It's, if you're literally changing the game as in you're losing it 10 minutes to go, you might be on all five. Is that allowed? If it is, then yeah, I can see yeah, that happening. Yeah, yeah that, might, that might be a case. A bit of a kamikaze afraid if you get the, the, the kitchen sink and everything and see what happens next. Well, well, we'll have to see who gets the record for the most subs at one go. Because uh, <laughs> it's going to be a Premier League record. It's going to be a weekly leaderboard. <laughs> exactly. It will be. It will be. Uh, so, IJ, I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, but do you feel that this kind of ruling would uh, reward those that have that sort of strength in depth across their squad, more so the bigger clubs than the smaller teams? Um, yeah, I think so. I think, um, as Charlie said, I think the, the teams with the more money are definitely going to, um, succeed in this, obviously clubs having appearance fees, um, this and that. And like, let's just say Norwich who are sitting at the bottom of the table who ne- not necessarily have a, as much money as Liverpool sitting at the top of the table, who who can afford to pay appearance fees for those extra two players they want to bring on, but maybe Norwich can't. So I don't know. I think the rich teams will will probably, uh, yeah, as you say, be more successful with this. Yeah, that's 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 a, a real sort of interesting point you get at because, and I know Charlie brought it up, but the the appearance fees, and I mean, all three of you have all played Football Manager, and I know you're all <laughs> addicts to it, but that that must be something that they're going to have to consider, surely, IJ, dur- during this spell, like. Can a club afford to put on these two extra players, as you say? Yeah, exactly. I think that um, I think that maybe clubs, maybe Premier League, have to say, "Listen, we we can't clubs. Some clubs can't afford to pay these appearance fees. We're just going to, you know, get rid of that, scrap that, keep your weekly wage." I don't know. I don't know if they probably won't be allowed to do that, but like that seems I to. I don't think it's really. I don't think a club won't put a player on because of an appearance fee. Not in the Premier League. I just think yeah. maybe slightly lower down the leagues. Well, well, see, the two leagues that there are, I think it's unlikely that a Premier League club is going to bring... I know Brighton won't not bring on Glenn Murray because he's got an appearance fee. It might be the contract extension clause that some of these players have. I know a famous case was Rob Green a few years ago at QPR, who was told halfway through the season he's not playing again because he's one game away from getting a one-year automatic extension. That might be where it starts to come into play. But I don't think I don't think anyone, for financial slash contract reasons, is going to be a perspective that a club will go no. And also, if I'm a manager and I'm allowed to put a player on the bench, I don't I don't really care what the financial element of it is in the Premier League. It's going to be it's going to be really hard to to sort of predict and forecast at this point. But I'd love to know from you all, and I'm going to start with Charlie first. Um, whether you think this ruling of five subs is going to be something that could be implemented in the future permanently? No, no, I don't think it will do. I think there'll be... It will highlight, like we've just spoken about there, it will highlight 
the haves and have nots. And it will force clubs to have squads bigger than they're comfortable with. And when you're in a division with a club that is allowed to spend as much money as Manchester United spend on players or Man City spend on players, whether that's transfer fees, whether that's wages, it is not feasible for a Norwich, for an Aston Villa, well, Aston Villa can certainly give it a go, for a Brighton, for a Bournemouth to pay a squad that would need to be big enough to fill that out with quality, it, it wouldn't be fair for players. It wouldn't be fair for clubs to have that big a squad. And it would just it would be one of those things that needs a 14-team agreement. And it won't get a 14-team agreement. It will get, like, eight or nine, maybe. Okay, Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of what Charlie just said. And also, it's a quick question... The fact of whether it was necessary. I mean, I know from watching a lot of the old Batch of Day videos during the lockdown period, I'm not on BBC, but they used to have an era where they had a one sub per game. Mm. Obviously, that's changed now to, to three in the in, in more eat, well, last 20 or 30 years. Um, I mean, some clubs even make three subs a game, they maybe make one or two. So to me, five does seem a bit excessive. Always like a, a game change or a rule change for no real benefit to the clubs or to the players or even the fans. So yeah, I, I personally think it'll be explored or taken further than that. I, I absolutely agree with that because think about um, Premier League games and you know this season or the last couple of seasons. Think about how many times um, a team actually use a three sub their three subs without like having an injury or something so if they don't have an injury they don't have a red card they need to do a tactical you know switch how many times they actually need to use those three subs not many times so i think as rob says like five subs is it is it necessary it may be a maybe excessive isn't it yeah yeah yeah. but okay well let's see how that gets on anyway uh i think it's something we'll probably review later down the line Uh, i'm sure there'll be hiccups and something go wrong but uh, (laughs) something to look out for there. Okay, so moving slightly on now, uh, let's talk about the game itself. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I came across an article by, um, it was on the Forbes and it was on um, The the Athletic as well. Um, And they found that the ball was in play for an average of 57 minutes, 16 seconds per game. In the first round of Bundesliga matches, uh, obviously since they came back. And it worked out about 1 minute and 54 seconds longer than the season average. So, Rob, do you think that by not having all this stop-start in terms of the ball going into the fans and the fans passing it around joyfully and it's slowly getting back to the throwing taker, (laughs) do you think we're actually going to see more football as a result? First of all, what a stat, by the way, Danny. You've done your work there, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, cre- credit goes to the Forbes and the Athletic for that one. So, <laughs> Yeah, two, two great um, media outlets, uh, I've got to agree. Um, I'm not sure what to say in response to that. Um, I've never really psychologically thought of the effect of the ball going into the stands and getting away and people holding on to the ball for ages and throwing it back in. Um, I think what's probably telling us is that on point of return to the league and the Bundesliga anyway, that teams maybe aren't pressing as much or win the ball back as much and therefore we're staying in play longer. Maybe that's how I would look at it as a fan rather than the ball going out and staying out of play. It, you, you know what though? It was 
for those who maybe have seen that first week of games, you obviously it was their first first games back. The sloppy tu- sloppy passes, sloppy touches, there's misplaced passes going all over the shop. But it was quite funny. Um, <laughs> so I mean, IJ another another avenue where time essentially is potentially being saved is confrontations with the the officials, with the refs and stuff like that. So um, because obviously they've got to keep their distance. Do you think that that, that will save time? Uh, <laughs> uh, not particularly, because if a player's not happy with the decision, he's not happy with the decision. Um, but no, I think this season, let's just talk in the Premier League, it's, it has been one of the like, worst competitive it has been in so long. Like I'm just putting off a stat here. From first and fourth place, the difference is 34 points. Whereas the um, the points difference between twentieth and uh, fourth place is forty seven points, and it just shows how terrible this. I mean, from <laughs> from the top anyway, how just it's been not competitive whatsoever. What would you put that down to? Out of interest, do you think it's um, money? <laughs> um, I no, I don't. I don't think that. I just think Liverpool have been absolutely incredible. <laughs> Well, well said, OJ. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's an easy one. Rob's definitely going to agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate statistically that that might be correct, but say that to a Sheffield United fan or to a, a Wolves fan, and I think that you'll get a different response to that. I think other teams have stepped up as well. That's the big key example there. So I, I think it's more a case of the top teams, the additional top six in the inverted commas, have maybe been less consistent ever than City and Liverpool. Um, I think teams like Wolves, Sheffield United, Leicester, maybe to a degree Everton, they've all kind of maybe upped their, their, their performance level this season and closed the gap a little bit more. Or, or, or we're noticing this because the league's been so terrible this season that we've had to pick <laughs> out some absolutely <laughs> some terrible teams. No, but I, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. That would be all. I agree with the first round. I'm not sure about Evan. Not sure about <laughs> Evan. Um, I know you're a Liverpool fan, but you're you, come on. <laughs> I was a bit kind to them for once. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Charlie, what do you what do you think? Do you think we'll actually see some more football on the pitch? And you know, would that be a hindrance to a team like Burnley or a team that relies maybe more so on set pieces? Um. I'm not sure. I think this is the point I was going to raise earlier that I think it is easier for forwards to get back into the groove than it is for defenders to get like. I think for the top teams, it's much easier for these players to click in and take advantage of the rusty nature of certain other teams. Let's be honest. So there will be moments that will be purely because a player hasn't played for three months, and it will. I think the beginning of the season will look a lot like. Well, sorry, the first few games will look a lot like the beginning of the season. Because these players haven't played a lot, and I think it will. This idea of the ball being in play a lot, uh, being in play more, which is a fantastic stat, um, is likely. I reckon it's probably pretty similar with the first few games of the season, where teams are just trying to feel each other out and work out. Okay, how well are we going to play? How well are we working in this situation against these sorts of teams? I just wonder if that's more a case of people are doing things slower. So it's going to take more time, naturally, just to make these decisions, to make a pass. To, you're going to take an extra touch at the beginning of the season, maybe, than if you're 
really chasing something. Like I reckon the last couple of games are going to be manic because teams will suddenly have to click into gear from, oh, I'm in pre-season form to I need to be in, like, to use an American sports term, in post-season <laughs> form. Like, I need, to, I need to go from being in games that don't necessarily matter to being in games where I am, like, instantly I've got to be on the ball all the time and like, we've got to try and score and we've got to try and take the lead. Like... For teams like Mighty, for Brighton, for I'm going to keep talking about the bottom six because it's probably going to be more interesting, I'm going to be honest, than the top six. It's going to be quite chaotic because we could be in the last day of the season and there could be four teams still like still able to go down. I mean, certainly at the moment, if the season were to end, it ends it is now, or be we have one more game potentially. If that was going to be the case, which isn't, thankfully, I know we've had this discussion before. I can't even imagine what the chaos would be like. There'd be teams throwing three strikers on in 20, over the 20th minute because <laughs> they'd be trying to get a result. I think with five subs, you might see managers being way more flexible when they're making these subs. Like, teams are just going to be... There is going to be more football, but there's going to be more chaotic football because teams are going to have to click into gear way quicker. Talking of those sort of chaotic subs, real throwback this. I don't know if you guys remember it. Stuart Pearce. Oh, I know what it is. With <laughs> David James. I mean, chucking him from in goal to up front. Wow. I saw that clip the other day. I was... Uh, <laughs> they lose 6-1 in that game. No, that isn't that game. That's Spain, I'm thinking. Nah, Spain, yeah, yeah, that was Spain. Yeah, so I, I think I think they lost. Well, they, they drew. Basically, they didn't win. Um, they didn't get what they needed. Uh, I mean, David James did a did a few kung fu kicks, didn't he? <laughs> I think he took someone out as well. <laughs> Crazy! Can you imagine if David Button gets on the pitch up front? Oh, we're all in <laughs> Interestingly, now I, I want to like put yourselves in the position of the managers. Now, I, I know obviously we're all supporters of different clubs, but say you're now the manager of those clubs. How would you approach these, I think, last nine games or so? What would be your approach? Would you go conservative for the first couple and you know, really make sure that the boys are, are fit and so that you end strongly? Or would you be sort of going full full throttle from the get-go? Um, I, I want to go to Rob first. Rob, as a, as a coach, who's coach with me. What, what would you be doing if, if your team were playing right now? So do you mean in general, Danny? As not yeah, not just in general. Yeah, not yeah. so much Liverpool, but just in okay. general. Like, what would you, what would your approach be if you was a manager? It's, it's a question because I was talking to a few friends about this the other day about what the attitude will be. Um, and we, we're thinking maybe you go in as you use the term there, full throttle at a high press, just because you might catch some teams as I think I did. I said, and also Charlie said, you might catch some teams a bit cold, who are a bit rusty, a bit out of sync, haven't played for a while. You might be able to take advantage of that early on in the first couple of games before they get into rhythm and a bit more match sharpness. So maybe the plan will be get as many points as you can in the first three or four and hope for the last five, six games of the season you hang on a little bit. IJ, would you would you consider the same approach or would you do something different, be conservative a bit more? No, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Don't, you don't want to... Um... No, I don't think. I think I think all teams need to uh, come out firing. They need to get back their uh, get their form back um back up and uh, be match fit. So no, I absolutely agree. Charlie, I, I guess the the phrase would be uh, nine cup finals or so. Mm. Uh, do, do you <laughs> yeah, agree yeah. with that? Would that be the approach? Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit more pragmatic. I think than the other two. 
So I'm going to be honest. Bright, I, I'm going to take Brighton's fixtures because again, I keep going back to Brighton, but this is that's where my sort of expertise on teams sort of lies in the Premier League. Our first three games are Arsenal at home. No, it's like Arsenal, Man, City, Man United, or I don't know. It's Arsenal, Man United, and Leicester or something. I think it's like quite a hard first three. You can't go into those games and go, oh, we're just going to go out. Mm. We'll go at Man. We'll go at Arsenal. We'll go at Man City. Well, Arsenal's a little bit different because they're a little bit softer at the core. But if you're going, you can't go at Man City. You can't just go. Ah, oh, you've not played for three months, but you know we're going to put Glenn Murray and Neil Mopai up front, and we're just going to go right after them from the first minute. You have to be a little bit more pragmatic and try and stay in games for the first sort of thirty minutes and see how the other team is. And sort of, it's going to have to be a boxing match more than it's going to have to be a football match. He's going to have to go. Okay. What are they coming with? Are they pushing? Do they look tired? I mean, we play Arsenal on Saturday and they play on Wednesday and we won't play before that. So they're going to have more match fitness, but they might get smashed by Man City tomorrow night. And then it just completely, it's going to be one of those situations where every week the situation is going to change. Mm. One team might go and win it all nine games. And you're like, well, if Norwich win all nine games, we're all in trouble. Like, <laughs> I think everyone's in trouble. <laughs> like if not yet, yeah, if, right. if someone goes in a mad run of form, which someone is always liable to do at this time of the season, then the whole table it all gets turned on its head and you have to be more aggressive. Mm. But if you get a couple of points here, maybe a, a shock win against someone, which I think I think shock wins are gonna be more likely, to be honest. You think? I think, I think teams are gonna be a little bit more if you're mid table and you've got, and your contract's expiring, and you're, say you're, like you're at an Everton, or I've got the table in front of me, if you're at Burnley, Crystal Palace, even Arsenal, if they end up having nothing to play for, <laughs> you're going to get caught, you're going to drop points, you're just instinctively going to drop points, because teams that need, need points, Nigel Pearson's Watford will fight for every single point they can get. They will absolutely run you into the ground. That's what they did before the break, that is what they will do after the break. If you're if you're Everton or Newcastle, are you going to be up for that sort of fight? If you're Southampton, are you going to be up for that sort of fight? I just don't think teams will. And if you're Man United and you've got nothing to play for, and let's be honest, Man United are one of the ones that can be got at. <laughs> it is. Be careful. Just, be careful. <laughs> some teams are just going like at this point of the season. Some teams are just going to naturally want it more. Brighton have played. Like the first is Brighton in the Premier League. We beat Man United out of nowhere. Like. It just ha- these things just happen, and I think they're more likely to happen when teams aren't as fit as they were three months ago. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I suppose it there as well. Mm. I I guess, and this is where I want to want to just probe a little bit deeper. How how much influence do you think? You know, if you go three games in and you've lost all three games, and maybe one of them is quite heavy, uh, how how much influence do you think that will have on on? managers potentially just changing their plans and going no we've got to go for it and we're going for it now uh, do you, can you guys see that happening at all charlie do you think i could see it happening i can see i don't think graham potter's the man to do it but i think there's potential for someone like david moyes to do it or eddie howe to be more aggressive no i mean i mean the reason why i'm asking you you obviously because you you've alluded to your first three fixtures and mm. like you say they're all tough so i mean if you got to the end of that third game and you've still not picked up a point surely there's going to be a bit of anxiety a bit of angst amongst the fans what i say is that brighton haven't well that's that's what you're saying there's going to be angst amongst the fans but the players aren't going to hear it mm. 
players aren't going to hear that angst, are they? There's, you're going to see it on social media, but all it takes is for someone to turn that off and go, I'm just not going to look at social media. I'm just going to play my football. But there, there is not going to be... I think a lot of managers get influenced by the crowd when it comes to making decisions on subs, even getting making decisions on all sorts, but making decisions mostly on subs formation, when to push, when not to push. Given that won't be there, I don't know. You're just going to. I think a lot of managers are just going to stick to their plan unless they really, really need the points. That's why I think the bottom six will be where you see someone will make some crazy decision. Like you might even find a team sacks their manager after three games. Are you telling me David Moyes is safe? Like, are you telling me Dean Smith is safe? You're telling me they wouldn't furlough him. Unbelievable. <laughs> could you Unbelievable. imagine that? Yeah, they could just furlough him in fairness. <laughs> well, but like. Don't tell, you can't tell me that a club's not going to panic and go, oh, we'll just sack someone. The problem is, though, can you bring a new manager in now? Is that allowed? Yeah, they're actually allowed, allowed to. Yeah. That's a question. That's a question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. But, I mean, what can they do? What how can they do in three games or four games does, or five like, games? squad registration work now? Because if you can't agree a contract, say like Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth, I don't know if he has extended his contract or not yet. His contract ends on the 31st of June, or 30th of June, there isn't a 31st of June. Um, <laughs> ends on the 30th of June, he walks out the door, born for suddenly left about one of their best players. Well, he hasn't been that good this season, but suddenly left about an asset. Are they allowed to go and replace him? Like, there will be players whose contracts expire. Lyle what? Taylor at Charlton, his contract expires and he's a goal scorer. If you're yeah. Brighton or West Ham are you gonna, or Norwich, you're going to take a punt on a free agent. Are you allowed to play it? What's going on with that guy? I, I, I kind of thought everyone was going to agree to extension by another month. But is that club by club then, as not league specific? So, I mean, my my, yeah. my understanding anyway, looking, um, I, I've only done a brief look and heard some things on Twitter, but um, my understanding is that, you know, the like with Norwich, they've got that Slimani guy that they've, they've pre-signed. Uh, they, they pre-signed in January um, and it was announced just as the club went in furlough. All the players went for all, all the staff. Sorry, um, he can't actually play, even though he he's technically going to join on July first. Um, he can't play because the, the registration. So I think that's that's what's gonna gonna be the case. Um, I feel like with the Ryan Fraser, if he ain't gonna play, he ain't gonna play. <laughs> he's not gonna play for anyone else because he's not gonna be allowed. But I, like, there's gonna be no chance trying to convince someone to play. Well, exactly, like, you look at Daniel Ayala's told Middlesbrough ain't playing for the rest of the season, and like these three players at Charlton have said they're not playing because their contracts are expiring. How do you tell them? You, how do you can't turn around and force them to play? Yeah. Like, yeah what I happens mean... if a Norwich player turns around and says he's not going to play? Tim Krull turns around and says he's not going to play for the rest of the season. I know you'd probably play another goalkeeper, but then that affect that can affect staying up or going down. It's just one of those situations that Massively. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the season's going to end cleanly, if that makes sense. I worry that someone's going to try something mm. and someone's going to be left sort of holding the baby on this one. Yeah. yeah. And ju- just on that, I- IJ, I mean, I'm sure you've probably seen the news this week. Uh, Norwich had one of their players uh, pick up or obviously test positive for coronavirus. Um, you know, could we see the chance of teams? Being being told to isolate completely because of coronavirus going round, like, do you think we'll we'll see that at all? Um, 
I don't, I don't know the like specific rules if a player gets uh, the coronavirus or whatnot, but um, no, I, 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 I don't know. I think if uh, what the worries were at the start before Project Restart was that if a player gets coronavirus and the whole league's going to shut down, I don't think that that will be the case. I think um, maybe the, who he's been in contact with in training, because I don't think that they've got every single player in it in training. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. No, it's tough. Uh, no, no one knows, I guess. Um, well, <laughs> go on in, Charlie. In, sorry, sorry. Just if I can interject and offer a little bit of um, sort of in perspective fact, from the other side of the pond. In America, at the moment, they're dealing with the same problem and they're looking at how to get their sports back, whether it's a tournament at Disney World, which seems to be the case for the MLS. It's doing their own little World Cup-esque tournament. They're doing that for basketball, aren't they, as well? Yeah, the NBA is doing exactly the same. Their system, though, is I was trying to work that out the other day, and it's I still haven't worked it out. I need to get a PhD to work that one out. <laughs> but what they're talking about, and this is a specific example, is at the Ohio State uh, College in America. They're asking their players to sign waivers to sign a waiver that says, I am fully aware that I may catch the coronavirus and I'm signing to say that I am happy to play. Well, in theory, if you do that, keep the players all isolated, like away from everyone else, you effectively can play without any... You just can't play. You keep them to one side, let them recover, but then you just carry everyone else to play, even if they've been in contact with that player. I think it's just going to have to be at the case where we, we use a little bit of, like, just take it by case by case and say, okay, if a physio come, says they have it, because that's going to be one of the situations, uh, it's almost certain that someone sort of not on the pitch, one of the 300 people that's allowed in the stadium, at some point is going to say they've got it, is going to find they've got it. And I think dealing with that is going to have to be on a case by case basis. And I think... We could see games postponed, definitely. Ethically, if 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 he was the coach, say he was Brian manager, and Neil Malkpai, um did all his tests, was came back obviously negative, but the the morning of the game, he's showing some kind of symptoms, and you think he might have it, um, but he's allowed to play, and it's the final game of the season, and you need three points to 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 no, stay up. I- like, do, I think do you, you have think... to ask him. I think you. I honestly, he's an adult, and you have doctors involved with teams, and I think you have to kind of use their best knowledge on it and say, look, do you think? I think you have to take advice. I do think you have to take professional advice and use their perspective. I wouldn't force anyone to play, but if he feels fit enough and he's maybe only got one or two of the symptoms, I think you just you just have to. Unfortunately, in this situation, we do, you have to take these risks, but you have to make sure the person taking the risk is the one making the decision. I, I personally think that if there's no need to, there's no need to uh, take that risk, though. I just think... I have 100 million reasons that it is worth to take that risk. Yeah, so, go on then, go yeah. on then. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> no, no, no. It's called the 100 million pounds you might lose out. Like, unfortunately, this will be yeah. the situation that some clubs will find themselves in. If, if you're Norwich and you can no, out from the last day of the season... You're gonna ask your players to take a risk. You are going to say to them, "Look, we need you to play. Don't feel like you like we're not going to force you, but in a no uncertain terms, we are reliant on an O'Neill Hernandez or a Todd Cantwell or something. But, like, insert Norwich player name here." You really, but oh, I don't know. But I'm not saying you force them to take that risk. I think you say to them that, "Look, yeah, but it's not about it's, it's negative. 
the doctor's advice that you're showing symptoms, but it does not mean you have it. The unfortunate point with the symptoms, a lot of them we don't know. Some symptoms that were considered symptomatic two months ago have since been said they're not symptoms of. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think that it's not about it's not about forcing the player who has no, symptoms. No. It's about everyone else who's going to get affected by it. But as I'm saying, you take best medical advice. If a doctor turns around to you and goes, "Okay, he's got he's got three or four symptoms. It's just not worth the risk." You say, "Okay, stay in the hotel. We'll play without you." Right. Yeah, if yeah. If he's got a mild cough, how yeah, yeah. You, how do you end up losing? You're going to lose too many players. Like the bar is going to have to be sufficiently high and low. Mm. For, to allow players to play but at the same time to protect health and I think you, you are right I think we're coming at this from the same angle I think it's just you have to you, you have to allow people to make these decisions and you might find like Troy Deeney he might not he might not feel comfortable making that decision or N'Golo Kante he might not want to make that decision which is absolutely their prerogative and if they don't want to play and they do not feel comfortable no footballer should ever be forced to play yeah. ever let's get Rob in Rob Rob Khan Let's hear your thoughts. I want to know. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I, think, I think the boys have done a great job so far. Because it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm listening, listening brief for right now. Um, I've got to lean a bit more to what Charlie was saying about the financial implications of it. As, as corrupt and as cynical as that may sound, I do feel that if someone feels able to play um, and they have slight symptoms, I think there's a almost unwritten rule within football that you'll, you'll grit your teeth and get through it. I hope mm-hmm. that's not the case. He's got a mild cough or a mild cold. Um, particularly that person being tested positive um, a couple of days before. So, yeah, I, I obviously think there may be a scenario, guys, at the end of the season, whenever that season ends officially, that someone did play whilst being a carrier. Um, I think they'll come out at some point in the press. So, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that, to be honest. No, I wouldn't be surprised either. I think you're right, Rob. Oh, you... I, I... Sorry, oh, go ahead, Danny. No, no, oh. no. no. Um, well, well... I, I don't know. I just think that uh, if if they, you know, if they put, tested negative, yeah, I'm not talking about having a little cough. I'm talking about if they have like four or five symptoms and then I'm thinking, is it a risk? Well, yeah, we can take the risk if he only has one symptom, but he has if he has four or five, then I just don't think it's worth it. Well, I think I think there, there'll be lots of people involved in the decision. I don't think it'll ever be a case of player yeah. goes to manager, manager goes shut your face and you're playing. Yeah, that's a very Jay thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> just run around the I pitch, yeah. run even run, just wander around the pitch. Yeah. Allegedly, Jose Mourinho was no, <laughs> one of the ones to do it. What? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've got two more questions on this. This has been fascinating. What? It really has. Daddy, what do you think, Daddy? What do you think? Ah, and this is this is the thing. It's so difficult, isn't it? It's so difficult. I think. Um, I again, I, I unethically would probably lean towards um, the playing. If he's got to play, you're going to have to kind of see if he's okay to play. But I mean, the the impact. I mean, it could it could kill someone essentially. It, it yeah, could kill someone yeah, from that exactly. pit. And that that that. And this is where I think you know. Uh, I like to get your thoughts. You know, if if someone did get it. Uh, and obviously died or whatever. But if if someone um, didn't play and had it, do you reckon the clubs would would be lining up for lawsuits here against the, the league? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. like no. you had the the Sheffield United with the with Tennis back in the day. I know it's slightly different, 
but you can't sue the league if a player's out with a like a knee injury. Like it would just be deemed as an Ill, as an injury or an illness, just an unavailability. That these players will you'll be like, well, unfortunately, you also miss. So Grant Hanley's been injured for Norwich season, hasn't he? Pretty much all of it, yeah. Yeah, pretty much all of it. Like you've missed him, like because he's had an illness or he's not had an illness, but he's been injured because of fitness and health. Like I don't think a club can turn around and go, oh, we're not happy we got relegated because one player was wasn't was ill and wasn't allowed to play. It's, same, it's almost exactly the same as with concussions. There is a concussion protocol in place that has to be followed. If you lose a player to that protocol, it's not the league's fault. Every club has agreed to it. Yeah. Do, do, do you reckon? Yeah. Do you reckon that you know at that that initial sort of project restart meeting that was agreed and signed off on? I mean, it's oh, hypothetical. We, we don't know, but I would assume that's probably something they did. I just don't think a club would have even countenanced the idea of starting the league again without saying yes to the potential of the potential that you might lose David De Gea for an import yeah. for the last game of the season when you couldn't win and get in the Champions League. Like you just you have to agree that that is a possibility, or you don't restart. Yeah, I'm not sure what you guys are thinking. No, I agree. If that's, it, it probably doesn't sound right from a more, from a, more, as a as a football fan, it sounds a bit uncomfortable talking about it in that regard. But that waiver or that agreement, whether they decided that the project restart meetings, I'm fairly certain that was probably the case. That someone might get it, but you do agree to play. Yes, okay, we'll go ahead then. Some, something I want to um, talk about, and I don't think many people have, have looked at, and I, I need to find a little bit more about referees and match officials. Say a team that, of match officials on that on that day, obviously all test positive. I mean, what happens? <laughs> they get the club staff to, to be, officiate the game, or, you know, or they get the people from Stockley Park down, the VAR guys. I mean... Well. That's I reckon I they'll just they'll just postpone the game for uh, for another time. Realistically, it's, it's not a backup team there or standby team though. I feel like they they have a backup team, and I feel like that team occupies at Stockley. I think that's they do they'll be they are, and I think I think that that will actually be one of the things they'll have discussed. Yeah, that people will have they will have gone to like they'll have referees and backup. And you think about it, there's going to be quite a big well of referees that are going to be around. This talk isn't there. Is it an Austrian referee? Is it an Australian referee? I can't remember which one. Yeah, he is coming over. Yeah. So there is somewhat, there is more people coming in. So I think that at the moment, there's a pretty big well of like referees to draw on if it came to it. Waiting for the call up. Waiting for the call up. From Harrow Youth League to Premier League. Bring it on. What a story. <laughs> in terms of refereeing as well I, you know, without these fans being there do you guys feel that that will have a massive impact on some of these decisions um, and I want to start with IJ first IJ do you think no fans being there will have any impact on, on referees um, yes I think that fa- like fan, oh, well, yeah, fans have whatever referee says Fans do um, put an impact on the referee, not necessarily on an exact decision on that like decision. They're saying that's not that's a yellow card. Give me yellow. May not do it that time, but then if he gives a fat, if if it's like a fifty-fifty challenge, you might go, okay, that's a foul because you know crowd are getting on my back. Let's just calm them down. I don't know. 
Who knows? Maybe I'm being a bit unfair on the refs, but... <laughs> no, no, no. It's a great point of view, Rob. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, I mean, Danny, you're, you're obviously the referee here. Human nature is that crowds are getting on your back or you feel uncomfortable. I'm not saying you'd be swayed massively by them. If, if a foul's a foul or free kicks, free kick, penalty, penalty, whatever. But I think, as IJ just said, if the crowd are giving you a bit of grief and you just think, okay, I've got maybe the last um, decision wrong... I want to even up a little bit. You may be more swayed to do so if you're the bad day with a the, with the, with the tough crowd. Um, so I think that might have a psychological effect on the referee's decision making. I, I think it might be a factor. Yeah, and Char- Charlie, do you agree? Do you think we'll see maybe less um, sort of balancing of, of, of those decisions? Um, maybe, but we have VAR now, so I can't see any decisions being wrong that would affect games too much. You might see a yellow card being given where it wouldn't have been before, or not being given where it would have been given before. But I don't think anything game-changing will happen because we've got systems in place. If this happened a year ago, we'd have a very different conversation on our hands. But I think the fact is now, you can't you can't argue that like three or four people, there can't be three or four Howard Webbs. Like, not you, everyone's going to... Don't give. you think that one yellow card could be game-changing because what if they get banned for the next game or they then go on and get a second yellow card don't you think that that could be you I, know without I'd say you're gonna have a good time arguing a yellow card there's a reason that you can't appeal them no but I the mean, question but surely by the time you appeal it you'd have missed two games anyway or you'd miss the <laughs> game anyway well i say there's a reason you can't appeal multiple yellow cards it's impossible you'd have to you'd be appealing multiple situations what about the yellow cards you got before the break like, no, but but the the fact is, like the ref might not give a yellow card, or he might give a yellow card because of no, the crowd. Was already in the position where he could have got a yellow card and gone anyway. They would be missing anyway. So, like, I see what you're saying. I just think it's really, really improbable. But a that situation happens, and b you can't really argue it. Yellow cards, yellow cards. No one's going to argue a yellow card that heavily nowadays. Like, it's just not going to happen. I think. Um, I think. I th- do think it will have an influence um and i think you guys are kind of touched on it i i agree with charlie and in the correct decisions will still be there as such um i mean that's why var is there so hopefully yeah, the, we're gonna we're gonna see some positive from that i hope ij anyway yeah there won't be some absolute howlers like i don't think there will it's just those tiny little decisions that could maybe affect a player or a team for a game or two but yeah there won't be as i say like game changing decisions Okay, well, um, listen, I, I, I think it's full time for this one. Um, I know we did have on our radar League One, League Two, but I mean, given their situation um, and given their lack of games at the moment, um, I'm sure we've got plenty of time to, to <laughs> talk about them in the next coming weeks anyway. But um, I feel like now's a great time to sort of end this this stream and end this podcast. Um, so before we do, I guess... Um, Let's let's go around the panel. Let's list your social media so that anyone listening in can follow you. So, uh, Charlie, how can anyone follow you today? Uh, you can find me at Charlie Pumphrey, which you can see on screen. <laughs> yeah, perfectly. They they are actually all on on uh, the screen if you're watching the stream. <laughs> oh, are they? Awesome. Yeah. So um, anyway, for for those who haven't got the stream in front of them, IJ, how can they follow you? Uh, at IJ011 underscore on Twitter and on Twitch at IJ011. Lovely, lovely job. And Rob, 
Uh, it's at Bobby Mans, B-O-B-B-Y-M-A-N-Z. Perfect. And you can, of course, follow Halftime Cuppa on Twitter using our handle at halftime, or one word, underscore Cuppa. And my personal account is at Danny Cook 1996 As mentioned at the start, all of the previous episodes are available for catch-up on our website, halftimecuppa.com, as well as our YouTube, of course. And uh, you can catch up on l- the latest ones on Spotify and iTunes as well. Uh, so, thank you very much to our panellists today. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you very much, Danny. Uh, thank you, IJ. Thank you so much for having me on, Danny. Not a problem. And thank you, Rob, for coming on. Thank you for having me on, folks. No problem. Until next time, stay safe and goodbye.